Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. We're discussing Srila Dubi Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. We're on the 93rd Anucheda. We're going to do a little bit of a recap here of the objectives of the 93rd Anucheda uh, before we go on. As we explained, this is a large Anucheda. It actually can compro- com- comprises uh, 41 pages of the of the book as presented by Sachin Das Babaji. In this section of the Sandarbha, what Srila Jiva Goswami is presenting is the manner in which the Vaishnav, or especially ourselves, Gaudiya Vaishnavs, should see the Lord's material manifestation. In other words, seeing it in the proper perspective. And, of course, specific to the time of Srila Jiva Goswami and even up to today, as evidenced by the Pranam mantras that the disciples of Srila Prabhupada chant to him, Nirvasesha Sunyavadi. There's these concepts in regards to spirituality which are misconceptions. And in the Paramatma Sandarbha, Jiva Goswami goes to great lengths to facilitate and nourish our spiritual growth by presenting us with the proper conceptual orientation in regards to the Lord and his various energies. And in this part of the Paramatma Sandarbha, he's dealt with pretty extensively the misapplication of the Brahmavad philosophy. Now, just to remember, Vedanti tat tatva vidas tatvam yajnamadvayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti sabjate. Different spiritual seekers, according to their mode of worship, conceive of the supreme absolute truth in different manners. Primarily, some conceive of the Lord of just one conscious existence, Brahman. Some conceive of the Lord as the Antaryami, or the indwelling self and creator of the world. That's pretty prominent. Going beyond that, to conceive of the Lord as having his own spiritual domain and in that domain engaging in his own most intimate affairs and transactions with devotees who are not within the material world, that takes it to a whole other level. And it's interesting that now when we look at milk, we can conceive of milk. Well, let's separate all of our senses. And each one of our senses conceives of milk differently. To the sense of touch, it's a cooling liquid. The sense of smell, it has a nice smell. To the taste buds, to the tongue, it tastes sweet. It's white to the eyes. 
and even the ears, when it's poured, it has a certain quality to it. Now, each one of those senses, if we look at those as an individual perspective on milk, those are separate perspectives of the same thing. But for us, we can conceive of milk by using the mind. So the bhakti perspective, the perspective of the Vaishnav, is that of the mind. It's seeing the whiteness of milk, the smell of the milk, the sweet taste of the milk, all the qualities are there put together because the mind is putting all those all those perspectives together. So similarly, you have the Brahman perspective and it's very limited. It would be like one sense, just one perspective. Unqualified consciousness. It's a pretty limited scope. So uh, milk, it, it's white. That's the extent of it. Well, that's all milk. That's all there is to milk. Well, no, we know there's so much more. We haven't even talked about talked about taking it in the kitchen and putting on the stove and how much more it can expand. But you get the that if we look to even even the perception of a, of a of something like milk, it's from each individual senses viewpoint, it's very limited. But if we look at it conjointly as all the senses are perceiving it, then all those perceptions can be put together and we have a very well-rounded understanding of even something as simple as milk. So what to speak of God? You should be able to embrace all these different perspectives fully. Brahmati, Paramatmati, He's within, he's without, he's the creator of everything. And Bhagavaniti, he has all qualities. And he encompasses the concept of Brahman. From the Vaishnava viewpoint, we see Brahman as simply as radiance. And Paramatma as, his, as an aspect of him that manifests the material creation. So in this part of the Paramatmas and Darba, Jiva Goswami is now pounding the post as far as the proper way to see the Lord's interaction with the world. I mean, how can God be wrapped in up in what we're wrapped up in? So that's the questions. Sri Jiva Goswami has posed the questions himself. He's already dealt with this extensively. And now he's going back and he's going to deal with it again. And he's going to present a very interesting perspective. And he's going to start by saying, well, what about? He's going to refute everything that he's just taught us in the following way. He tells us what he's going to do. He begins the Anucheta. In this way, although the conclusion regarding Bhagavan's Threefold cosmic play, Leela, creation, maintenance, and destruction, and so on, has been undertaken in a general way. It is now elaborated again in a specific manner by addressing various objections. 
according to the principle of driving in a post. The more you hit it into the ground, the stronger it becomes. So I want you to have the strongest understanding. And then, right after he says that, he says the following. A question is raised. Does the Supreme Lord himself personally appear or not as the avatars who descend in the course of his cosmic play of sustaining the universe? Or does he or does he not perform the various leelas of these avatars about which we hear such as siding with the gods, suras, by exhibiting a smile expressive of his pleasure, or by granting them fearlessness, or by killing the asuras by doing battle with them? If he does so, if he does do this, Jiva says, then not only would the objection raised earlier become verified, he's referring to an objection made by Vidura that the Lord, how can he make the world without, be, without being wrapped up in the gunas of the world? How's that possible? This is a question that Vidura placed before Maitreya, and Maitreya answered it, and, and Jiva's already expanded this and explained it a hundred ways. But now he's coming back at the same thing again, driving the post in. If he does do this, if he does come in the world, if he does favor his devotees, if he does these things, then what about, then the door is right, isn't he? That, that he gets wrapped up in material nature. Then, not only would the objection raised earlier by Vidura to Maitreya become verified that he is influenced by the gunas, but he would also be subject to the flaw of favoritism towards the devas. If he does not, then all these avatars and their leelas are shown to be not part of Bhagavan's essential nature. And thus, the previously accepted conclusion falls to pieces. Everything we've talked about falls to pieces. So now we're coming back to this again. And he wants to get the point across. Now in the last discussion we went over there's a way to look at the Lord's involvement in the world. He does come as an avatar. He does interact. He does seem to favor the, the demigods. Well, actually, he does favor the demigods. <laughs> so why is this? And Jiva explains it. And he explained it elaborately as we went over. He explains it by saying, it's not, he's not doing this in the world with any involvement in the gunas. That has nothing to do with what he's doing. He's exchanging loving affairs with his devotees. That's all he's doing. And how did we conclude that, that discussion? If, if you see that it's happening in the world and you're seeing that, well, I guess we could call it like a ripple effect. Oh, God's here and the, the forests are becoming, you know, lush with, the ground is becoming like Shintamani. It seems that he's brought his whole 
Well, it doesn't seem like he actually has bought his whole transcendental abode to the world. And why? Well, because Bhumi was crying to Brahma that I can't take this pain of all the demons. Yes, yeah, she's my devotee. I've got to. She's praying to Brahma, and Brahma's praying to me, and he came, and I'm here, and I just came because they made a prayerful appeal. They approach me in love, and I reciprocate with love. So I come, and I engage. And if you are perceiving any ripples of my leelas in nature, you can look at it this way. And Jiva gives us a way to look at it. It's like if you go in the kitchen to cook in the winter, you went in the kitchen to cook, to make a preparation. But in doing that, well, being in the kitchen in the winter and the stove is running, then you're going to be warmed. It's a byproduct. Whatever we see happening in the world as a, as a byproduct of the Lord's leela or loving exchange with his devotees, doesn't mean that he's involved in material nature. It doesn't mean that he's wrapped up in the gunas. It doesn't mean that he's, he's bound in any way to follow any regulations relative to material involvement. He does. Why? He wants to show humanity how to act so that they also can advance to the state of of loving affairs with him. If I didn't do that, everything would fall to pieces. People wouldn't follow me. So he he told he pointed that out to Arjuna on the battlefield. Yeah, I act right. I go along with all the rules and regulations, but I only do it to to set an example. To set a, an example for my devotees and to set an example for humanity at large. I'm here, but it's a byproduct. It's not his purpose. His purpose is only to engage in a loving affair with his devotees. And I, I've always said this also when we look to, because there's a, there is sometimes confusion in regards to, and the difference between the principle and the detail of devotional practice. And my spiritual master, he put forth uh, four Details. No illicit sex, no meat-eating, no gambling, no intoxication. These are not the principles of devotional practice. The principles are Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, Padasavanam, Archanam, Vandanam, Dasham, Sakyam, Atma, Nivedanam. Or the five that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave. These are the principles of devotional life. These rules that my spiritual master gave his disciples are details. And really, what are those details centered around? They're centered around being a human being. Why would we as devotees want to be a, a human being? Well, because if we're not a human being, we can't have the sangha of the sadhus. We follow these principles so that the devotees don't kick us out of their association. We don't have illicit sex. 
with another man's wife. We don't take intoxication. I mean, can you imagine going to a class intoxicated? We don't eat meat because devotees don't eat meat. A different perspective between principle and detail. The side effects of devotional service are devotees develop 26, I believe it is, outrageously beautiful qualities. They are the byproducts of devotional service. We don't strive for, for those as separate. If we can use them in our service, we may remember them. And you, but what we primarily focus on is Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smarnam, Bodhisattvanam, Archanam. And if we're focused there, the qualities come. The compassion comes. The humility. All of these come naturally as the byproduct of our practice. This Anucheta is very long. And now we're coming to a, another pounding of the post, a reinforcement of the point. So what are the points? Two points. The Lord is not affected by the Gudas, and the Lord doesn't show favoritism to the devotees. Doesn't show favoritism to the devotees. Well, this is going to be, how do we explain this? <laughs> how does this play out? I mean, this is interesting stuff, what Jeeva's giving us here. Let's go into the heart of it. How is God not partial? When, when he comes, it sure seems like he's pretty partial. How is it that the Lord doesn't... How do we see the Lord's compassion when we know the only, the only reason the Lord is coming is to show appreciation and express love for his devotees? Bhagavan acts only for the delight of his devotees, is the point that Jiva made. Now he goes on. With devotees are self-satisfied. So this is like the third subdivision of this one anucheta. An objection is raised. Is it not to be conjectured that since Bhagavan gives bliss to his devotees and they to him, he or his devotees must not be self-satisfied. Nor that since he gives pleasure to his devotees while neglecting others, he must be subject to another form of bliss outside of himself. He's, he's self-satisfied. So Jiva is saying, well, here's an objection for you. Let's... The answer to the first objection, Jiva writes, is that although the sages have bodies endowed with the powers of transcendental being, Visuddhasattva, and have thus attained the very pinnacle of self-satisfaction, when we see Bhagavan's affection toward these devotees, it can be understood that this quality is a consequence of his self-satisfaction and not opposed to it. We're going to get a little technical here. We're going to look at this Rupa Shakti and Jiva's going to pull it apart a little bit and explain parts of it. So, As Sri Parikshit said to all the sages, so now he's, he's giving some praman, some support to this statement. You have no purpose to fulfill in this world 
or the next other than bestowing mercy upon others, for that is your innate disposition. So now Jiva is drawing primarily from the Bhagavat Purana, the Srimad Bhagavatam, different evidences so that he can make his point that the devotees are self-satisfied. First he's going to do that and then he's going to show how the Lord and the interaction between the Lord and his devotees doesn't interfere. It doesn't mean that they aren't completely satisfied in themselves. But it would sure appear that they are their 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 satisfaction and their enjoyment is enhanced by the company of each other let's first go to scripture and show that that the devotees are self-satisfied in every condition so now we're going to get a few quotes to support that aspect of it similarly in the story of Jud Bharat Bhagavatam says, the highly realized Judd Bharat explained the true nature of the self out of supreme compassion to the ruler of Sindhu, even though he had been offended by him. Self-satisfied. I mean, who does that? Because he'd just been insulted by the guy. You can't even carry a palaquin. You can't even walk in unison with the other, with the other servants of, of mine. And then Judd says, well, who's the servant here and who's the master? Is there a servant and is there a master? How are you seeing life? Are you looking at life in the right way? Judd Bharat enlightens him. And also in Narada's previous life, the sages, though equal to all, showed special mercy to me who rendered service unto them and spoke but little. And also in the prayers of Kunti, I bow down to you who are the only wealth of those devoid of all attachments, akinchana, who are free from the functions of the three gunas, who delight in your own self, who are peaceful and the Lord of liberation. Now he draws from Sridhar Swami's commentary on this particular verse spoken by Queen Kunti. The compound akinchana vita means you who are the all in all for those who have no possessions, namely the devotees. Should he not do so, the flawless Bhagavan would incur the defect of ingratitude. Shijiva replies, Bhagavan's devotees are fully satisfied, having completely transcendental bodies endowed with Visuddha Sattva. Bhagavan has love for his devotees, just as his devotees have love for him. This mutual love, which manifests as a desire to please the other, of the object of love, is not a sign of personal dissatisfaction, but is actually an outcome of the quality of self-satisfaction, love. Only a person who is satisfied within himself can love and serve another without any motive. One who is lacking self-satisfaction will seek personal fulfillment through his actions. Thus, the quality of self-satisfaction and service to the object of love go hand in hand. In fact, if Bhagavan did not act to please his devotees, if he were not inspired by their love for him, it would be a greater defect 
as it would show in gratitude to those who have dedicated everything for his sake. This answers the first objection raised. So it's not the gunas here. Don't look at this reciprocation of affection between the Lord and his devotees as being something that's under the modes or the gunas of material nature. The devotees are self-satisfied. It is because that they, they, they are self-satisfied that they act selflessly. And it's because of that selflessness that the Lord can, out of gratitude for their, their selflessness and the fact that they are free of the influence of his external energy, that there is this transcendental reciprocation. Now we get into some technicalities as to the nature of the Swarup Shakti so that through an understanding of the Lord's internal potency, we can understand more deeply the fact that this is all transpiring independent of any of the influence of the Lord's Bahiranga Shakti or his external potency. Maya. It's all internal. So Jiva explains as follows. He continues. Since it is proven that Bhagavan through self-satisfaction is affectionate to his devotees through his own satisfaction it naturally follows that he feels delighted by the removal of his devotees pain or by their attainment of well-being. Moreover, the energetic aspect called Ladini, the potency of bliss, is the essence of the intrinsic potency, Swarup Shakti. The essence of the Swarup Shakti, Jiva is saying, is Ladini. So the, the blissfulness. And where's this blissfulness come from? Well, it comes from Bhakti. It comes from loving exchange. So of the Surup Shakti, of the Lord's internal potency, Ladini, Jiva Goswami is pointing out, is the essence. The essence of the intrinsic potency. Even though the latter is the ultimate essence of all of Bhagavan's potencies, when we look at the Supreme Lord and look at all of the unlimited manifestations of his energies all those qualities that we we associate when we even say Bhagavan and then we look to the Jiva Shakti and the Bahiranga Shakti so wealth, strength, fame, beauty, knowledge and renunciation the Jiva Shakti the Maya Shakti all of his manifestations of the transcendental realm, Sandini, Shakti. It makes the whole environment. And his knowledge potency, his cognizance, some bit. And of course, the subset of those, Sat, Chit, Nananda, as the Jivas have access to under the domain of 
their own internal potencies because they are also conscious. So of all those, Jiva is saying, the Surup Shakti reigns supreme. And within the Surup Shakti, love reigns supreme. Ladini Shakti. So it's the essence of the essence. And the essence even of that Haladini aspect is a very special power. Wow, now let's go in another level. Okay, well here's Ladini is is this blissful nature of the Lord and the essence of Ladini he goes one step further and says and that's Bhakti. So the essence of the essence of the essence of all the potencies is Bhakti. This Bhakti also called Rati, ever resides both in Bhagavan and the devotees, extending their her functions on both sides. Thus it is said, Bhagavan is he who has devotion for his devotees. Bhagavan. Bhakti, Bhakta, Bhaktiman. That's from the tenth canto, the word. Consequently, Jiva continues, Bhagavan's satisfaction, stemming from the devotion existing in his devotees, is in no way incompatible with his quality of being self-satisfied. See where Jiva's going here? He's self-satisfied. Rather, Bhakti, being one of Bhagavan's potencies, is both different and non-different from the Swarup of the Lord. His Swarup Shakti. According to the principle, as they surrender unto me, so do I also serve them. Because bhakti appears as if it were a separate energy due to manifesting in the heart of a devotee, Bhagavan experiences extreme unprecedented bliss in the, fo in the form. His devotion is giving me delight. Whose devotion? So Jeeva is saying, really, if you look at it, Krishna's self-satisfied. He's fully self-satisfied, but he also derives more self-satisfaction when he experiences bhakti, which is the essence of his Hladini shakti, which is the essence, essence of his swarup shakti, through the agency of his the jiva, or actually there's other manifestations, but the point is, it's all coming from him to begin with. So therefore, you can't say the Lord isn't self-satisfied. He gives you bhakti and he enjoys. Through his agency, bhakti is coming to you. And then you are expressing that bhakti to him. So, he is still self-satisfied. <laughs> is what that's what the conclusion Jeeva's bringing this to here. This is how God is self-satisfied. These are the gems of, of Jeeva's sandarbas that he pulls these things out and he he elaborates on them so that when there's an objection, whether it come from our mind, and we find that 
our mind could never even come up with the objections that Jiva puts forth so that he can give us these explanations. I would just accept as a devotee, well, God's self-satisfied. Jiva's not going to have any of that. He's not going to say, well, God is just self-satisfied. Well, how's he self-satisfied? doesn't look like he's self-satisfied when he's running after Radha or trying to engage in some loving exchange with Radha. It looks like, and when he's trying to be suckled by his mother, it doesn't look satisfied to me. And he's, he wants to eat more butter. Well, if he, why doesn't he just, you know, make butter in his hand? I mean, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. But no, he's engaging in Leela and, and he's doing all these things to enhance his self-satisfaction with his expanded selves. How does that work? Well, that's amazing. That's the inconceivable nature of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. When we nonchalantly said, well, God's just self-satisfied and we're happy with that. Well, I can understand that. Yeah, well, no, the Acharyas want to take you to a deeper level of understanding, a deeper level of appreciation. This is how we can begin from one perspective, as I said. This is Jiva Goswami's perspective. Of course, he's the greatest logician we accept him as probably the greatest logician that ever walked the face of the earth. That's our perspective. But we have so many great sadhus in our line and they all come from a little different perspective so we can associate with them. Those that are here among us and those that are have, have at least written down their various realizations. And they're all just a glimpse just a small glimpse, a small ray of the infinite knowledge that one can have of Krishna. He's has unlimited ways to look at any one verse, what to speak of, of any of these philosophical points of, of tattva that make up a siddhanta. Jiva Goswami continues, Even in the doctrine of those who consider potency and potent to be different, the essential nature of Bhagavan is understood to be qualified with potency. Intending all this, Sri Vishnu stated the following to the sage Durvas. And now Jiva quotes the following six verses. O Brahmana, my heart is possessed by my saintly devotees. I am under the control of such devotees as if I have no independence I am beloved to them. I have no desire to enjoy my own transcendental bliss or my supreme opulences without my saintly devotees for whom I am the only goal in life, O Brahmana. How could I dare abandon those who have taken refuge in me after renouncing all attachments to wife, house, children, relatives, life, wealth, and even their own ultimate welfare in this world and the next. The saintly devotees whose hearts are bound to me and who view everyone equally control me by their devotion, just as a chaste wife controls her virtuous husband. Fully satisfied by their service to me, the devotees do not desire even the four types of liberation attained through such service. How then can they covet any other thing 
that will only be lost with the passage of time. The saintly devotees are my very heart, while I am the very heart of the saints. They know nothing more lovable than me, and I know nothing at all other than them. Jiva concludes this little subsection. Those verses are from the ninth canto, fourth chapter, which is the Leela of Durvas offending Maharaj Ambarish. In this series, Jiva says, verses 3 through 5, deny that Bhagavan is ungrateful. Verse 6 negates the opinion that he lacks self-satisfaction, and verses 1 and 2 show that bhakti is the essence of Ladini, which is in turn the essence of the Surup Shakti. The state of the devotees, when this potency enters into them, in the form of bhakti is described in verse 5. Therefore, Bhagavan is not subject to the first flaw, that of not being satisfied in his own self. Are there any questions? Yes, sir. So, Bhagavan is self-satisfied because um, his interactions with his devotees are, he's interacting with their bhakti, which comes from him, so he's self-satisfied. Yes, right. yes. Yes, sir. And so the jiva is um, the jiva, like under the full influence of the srup shakti, is um, it's different than the srup shakti nitisiddhas, but I guess for practice, like in one sense, it's the same. It's like they're different, but they're for all practical purposes, it's the same jivas. Oh, it's the same. Yeah. No, there's no difference. Uh, even even if it even if it's in its unripe state, according to Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, mm-hmm. bhakti is bhakti. Now, from our perspective, we may not be fully experiencing because of our qualification may not be there to fully appreciate. But still, the agency of bhakti is in the bhakta even at the at the preliminary stages of practice. Even though it can be unsteady, it can have all kinds of characteristics and mental attributes, as Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur points out in Madhurya Kadambani. So we go through those six stages. He he refers to six stages of uh, unsteady devotional practice. But still, it's devotional practice. All right, I thank you so much for your association. Mm-hmm. Yeah,